Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by my awesome co-hosts this week. Nate Heininger. And Laura Nash. And this week we are talking about Gato Robato. This is a game that just recently came out from Doinksoft and published by Devolver Digital on the Nintendo Switch and also on PC, I believe. I think it's on Switch or on Steam. Uh, Do- Doinksoft is just a good name. And then this goes into... Uh, yet another Devolver published game that we're going to talk about how much we enjoyed. Devolver tends to uh, put out good stuff. Yeah, they really do. I They're not 100% hits, right? Like They, they have occasionally published things where I'm like, eh, that's not for me. But consistently, I think, a good publisher to keep an eye on. And Doinksoft is brand new to me. Uh, I don't know who these folks are. And from a brief search on uh, IGDB, I don't see any past games from them. So I don't know what they've previously worked on. But I was immediately excited to play this game, mainly because I am a massive sucker for the art style. Um, I am really, really easy to please with 2D, one-bit black and white art. Like, if you remember us covering Minute on this show or Downwell, for example, this art style has a lot in common with those. And that art style just, like, really, really works for me. Minute was also published by Devolver. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think the Switch version of uh, of uh, Downwell as well, actually. Yeah, they're pretty uh, good in our sweet spot. We, we, we understand that uh, it's a marker of, if not... Excellent interest, at least. Yeah, yeah. We cover a lot of their stuff for good reason. And if you're at all curious about the art style and you're by a computer, uh, their website, gatorobato.com, has the full introduction as a scrolled-out experience. Uh, so you can not only see some of the art assets, but you can pretty much see the little uh, cutscene that kicks off just on the website. It's a really neat little slideshow animated scroll-through view of the of the beginning of the game. And it gives you a great idea of what the art style is going to look like, including the incredibly cute main character, the cat, Kiki. Kiki! Kiki. So why don't we talk a little bit about what this game actually is. Uh, So... This game is a shorter, obviously, because it's on the show, Metroidvania, where you play as a cat. In uh, a suit. Honestly, in a suit. Well, I would say, like, Metroidvania, yes, but, like, this is a straight-up Metroid. Like, this is so Metroid and all metroid Novania. It really is, and I was going to talk about that, because I was thinking the, the Vania part, the, like, you're getting new... Um, assets or new skills that allow you to access different like parts of the map that you've already been to like 95% of the time what the only thing that you're going back for is like extra items it's mm-hmm. not as much about like unlocking the next part of the world it is to a degree but not nearly as much as what you know you might be used to you're really not backtracking at all in this game unless it's purposeful and it's to go back and look for items uh, so it's way more Metroid-y. I also thought a lot about Blaster Master, mm. though without the uh, top-down element of it, but you play as Kiki the cat, and a huge part of the game is going from inside of your ship, which has a certain set of powers, to being outside of your ship, which you're just a cat. 
And by ship, we mean basically Samus Aaron's headless body. Like it's yeah. it's a uh, it, it's a it's a mech suit that is strangely controllable by a cat that is it looks so much like a Samus Aran uh, like Varia suit or what have you that I mean it, this is re- this game is really really wearing its love for Metroid on its sleeve um, so you know if that appeals to you go for it this is Metroid but with cat <laughs> but yeah I love the I love the sort of jump in and out of the mech suit element because Kiki the cat can get into places that the mech suit can't but Kiki is also extremely underpowered you know one hit kills Kiki and uh, you know Kiki is is extremely vulnerable but in the mech suit uh, she's very powerful but a little more cumbersome yeah when you are in the mech it's often a little bit of like a bullet heli or um, just a lot of it's it's all about firepower when you're in the mech mm-hmm. and then when you are Kiki it's mostly light platforming with like timing puzzles almost like mm-hmm. these creatures move at this rate and I need to make sure that I can like jump in and out of them or get through this tunnel or whatever without getting hit at all it's a pretty good balance yeah and the the powers yeah. are interesting at least for Kiki she can climb walls whereas obviously your mech suit can't do that and so that means that there's all sorts of places where you can kind of scout ahead as Kiki and try and find a way through for your mech suit which is a really kind of fun back and forth of this sort of dangerous venturing forth as the the vulnerable cat and then coming back to your mech suit and going maybe back through the same area but with with big guns yeah for people who are not familiar with uh Metroid, but are familiar with Gakumele, it's very much uh, chicken <laughs> to Poyo power time. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought about that too, but I wait, like Poyo, at least you can peck. Oh and yeah, you like- can do something in Poyo. I feel like Kiki should be able to claw people in the face and she can't. <laughs> I was like, cats are dangerous creatures. Yeah, they're vulnerable, but they will mess you up and there is no point for Kiki to just go full uh, unless I, I didn't finish no. the game. But Nate, is there any point where Kiki just descends into biting you and clawing you in the face and giving uh, you uh, toxoplasmosis? <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Well, I mean, there may be people who end up with toxoplasmosis from this. I mean, that is a That's slow, true. it's a slow disease. But Hazards. Like, so I, I can't, I can't, that one I can't answer for sure. True. Um, Invisible. Yeah, exactly. We may have been infecting a lot of different things with it throughout the game. However, from a uh, straight-up attack perspective, no. And and that's actually how they gate a lot of the game, is that um, there are gates or doors uh, throughout that. Since Kiki cannot attack, the way that you open the door is you have to shoot it. And so the game's pretty clear. Like, this is a mech zone, and this is a, a Kiki zone. Because uh, if you get to the end and there's a door that you can't claw or can't open because you mm-hmm. can't claw it or anything, it's like, well, I'm going to have to go back and get my mech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a surprisingly amount of cat-sized passages all throughout <laughs> the world. Although there's kind of a reason for it within the story if you want to make some logical leaps as to why there's so many cat size oh i don't think uh, anyone's playing this game for its deep internal logic and world building and story it's uh, i play every game for deep internal logic and world building i will say that the setup is at least kind of fun you know you are the pet of some kind of space soldier uh not really explained in great depth 
Uh, but the space soldier is sort of the narrator of the game because at the very beginning, like a cat, Kiki walks across the keyboard on his spaceship and causes it to crash into a research facility, sort of planetary research facility station. And uh, he's pinned and injured inside the ship and only Kiki can get out. So you're trying your best to save your, I guess, master. I don't know what word we want to use there. I always feel awkward about that when you're playing as the character that is the pet. I mean, owner, owner, owner worse, but that's okay. Kiki's human partner. Oh, I mean, it's (laughs) a cat. I mean, you do own your dog, right? Yes, but then he doesn't go and save my life in a mech suit. Well, most cats wouldn't either. Kiki is definitely special. Most cats would not even lift a finger to help anyone. So it's some sort of future cat that is capable uh, beyond. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, one little twist on the the story or not twist, but like element to it is uh, you're crashing at a research facility that has been closed for a while and, and had lost contact with um space command yeah or whoever it is with star trek yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i think we talked about the structure of the game you know it plays like metroid it's it's if you've played one of those you know exactly what to expect here and uh it, it is nice in that it's it's short for one of these, you know, about five hours is what it took for me. And I think that's going to be about, about typical for folks, unless they're going for a hundred percent completion, but it's, uh, it's still pretty challenging and it still felt like a Metroidvania. You know, there's, there's a lot of these, I have played other games that were trying to be a very short version of a Metroidvania. And sometimes they feel sort of like they lose some of the exploration. They have to become too directed. This is more linear than, I don't know, you know, some of the, bigger metroidvanias that we've covered but it still there were still times where i felt like i had to okay now i need to just backtrack and do some exploration and and see what to do next um not a ton of that in five hours but enough that i felt like it sort of still checked those boxes for me and and made me feel like i had to do some exploration yeah i've been thinking about what like why was this one a simpler experience than a lot of metroids uh metroidvanias and I, I think it's the map. Mm. So the game has the game is a really clean map system. It's all set on a grid. And when you're moving from one room to another, it's like an old you know panel game. You move from one screen to the other, though sometimes the, the panels will go across multiple uh, like the, the the level will go across multiple grid spaces. And on the top of your screen, there's always the X axis and the Y axis of like Mm -hmm. what square you're in. Mm. And when you go to the map, the entire area that you're in is broken into exactly those squares with their connections on how to get from one room to another. So you can actually chart, you can look at it and go, okay, I need to go three rooms over and one room up to get to where I want to go. Whereas I think with a lot of Metroidvanias, even if they have a map, you're still kind of like, okay, I remember the area is somewhere over in this direction. And I got to get over and I got to find that door or whatever that I was missing. So mm-hmm. you can really clearly set like what's the most efficient path for me to get back to where I want to go. On top of that, if you find a door or something that you can't access because you don't have the power or whatever you need to get to it, it shows you on the map like, hey, here was a door. Here's a square. Here's a grid that you were not you didn't go to yeah and what and what square the room or what square the door was on 
So it's like, oh, okay, I can. So when I get this new like double jump, you know, classic extra thing, I can go back to the previous stage, look at the map and say, okay, there's three areas that I wasn't able to go to on the last one and check them really fast. So it's definitely exploration because you have to get to these areas first to make them appear on the map. But it's also, you don't have to like remember anything. That's you just great. look at the map and, it, and it'll take you back to it. Um, and I really think that was like the big thing that made this, to me at least, uh, really, really streamlined. Yeah, it was very nice. It reminded me a lot of some of the later like handheld Castlevania games. Uh, so, you know, post Symphony of the Night, um, they started doing that same sort of mapping. And it just makes, I think on a portable console where you're likely to, you know, put the game down for a while and come back to it, you might not be playing it in these massive bursts having a really solid mapping system is really important yeah it felt very game boy to me and you mentioned that the the screen like literally on screen at all times while you're playing at the top of the screen in the ui it tells you your x and y coordinates on the map which is very convenient but it also right at the bottom of the screen at all times tells you how long you've been playing, which you don't usually see in games. And when you do, it's often some extra that you turn on as like a speed run mode or something like this. Here it's on absolutely by default. And I really liked that, not just because, not because I always need to know exactly how many minutes I've been playing a game for, but because it it let me know that the uh, the developer really did care about this being a concise experience you know, about it being a kind of a, like a streamlined version of the Metroidvania genre. Um, you know, having that on-screen thing and said, you've been playing this game for four and a half hours. I, I don't know. I, I find that really valuable, even though, um, I mean, I wouldn't want that for every single game I play, but I, I thought it was really nice to have here. And it, it kind of says something about the philosophy behind this game, this sort of slightly lightweight, but still serious about its genre a uh, game that's designed to be a condensed Metroid experience. And it's funny you say serious about a genre because to me, based on the imagery and the the delightful illustration of the trailer, I was thinking it was going to be a much more uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, knowing type of game like Bomb Chicken or mm. Guacamelee where they were uh, a lot heavier on the jokes. Even Pikuniku where they're mixing genre with a lot of like jokey tone. And there's plenty of little asides and things like that. I mean, the, the dialogue, his character, and the art style definitely has a lot of personality, but it is not a comedy game by any means. It is a game that is put a cat in a serious game and is having fun with that, but it is not um, quite as ridiculous as I was expecting. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. It's mostly like it exists in a world where like having a cat that can do these things for you is, normal. is just is normal, right? Yeah. And so he's not like, what? I can't believe he's like, oh, I can't believe you were able to defeat that, Kiki. He's more like, great job with that battle, Kiki. You were really impressive with your double jumps or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's so not it's like, like the, Kiki, the, you're the first cat to claw her way yeah. to success. It's none of that kind of stuff. Yeah, like we know it's funny because of what's happening, but the it is not, they're, they're not playing it up for humor. That being said, very early, one of the first, the the distress code or like the the planet code or whatever was um, it's a five digit number and it's four twenty sixty nine. So they're not. <laughs> yes, oh God. They're not. Uh, they're not completely uh, above 
you know, some some cheap shot, uh, lowbrow humor. But that is not the norm. That is, uh, you know, more just like, yeah, it's just perfect. It's yeah, a great little tip. I think in terms of humor, it's like if you appreciate a cute pixel art cat doing cute pixel art cat things and then also occasionally piloting a mech suit, um, that's the level of humor we're talking about here. It's not like it's not like an uproariously funny game. It mostly just is a good playing well control like tight controlled metroidvania that i was you know mostly engaging with as that yes it has a cat in it but it's 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 not a comedy game exactly um i i i think it uh, oh and speaking of the way that it plays um i think the biggest surprise for me about this game was the boss battles the boss battles are really um really challenging like they're really significant challenges and they're real tests of have you learned to use the powers that you've accumulated? I mean, obviously any good boss battle, sort of the, the test of what makes a good boss battle is like, is this going to test you on the skills that the game has been imparting to you up to now? Some of these bosses though, were like, they were some pretty difficult tests. Uh, how did you guys fare with them? Yeah, I, I do agree. I think that the, the game, overall is relatively easy until you are in the boss battles and the boss battles a lot of deaths and it's yeah it's it is definitely considerably more difficult they're not like they're not super like they're not um i don't like hyper light drifter or some of those other games that are like work this is hard for the sake of being hard it's more that like from a balance perspective the game is pretty fast you can if you play well you can make it through most of the levels without dying but then the mm-hmm. bosses you're probably going to have to um learn their patterns take it easy and and win um what's the word I'm looking, like deliberately like this game makes you want to play fast and you know it's kind of like from a control standpoint it's kind of like slippery if that makes sense so yeah. like it, it really wants you to just like be moving around mm-hmm. but for me at least on the bosses if I was to be successful, I actually had to like really slow down and and be more like avoidance and take shots when possible rather than the rest of the game where you're just kind of like boom, 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 just like kill everything in your way. Yeah, I, I think what what sets this apart is that the boss design is very much about the bosses are constantly attacking and they have different phases, of course, and the different phases have different, you know, different things that you might need to be doing in order to avoid their attacks. But th- there's no like you know, do X and Y to stun the boss and then you get a free, you know, several free hits or something like that. You're almost always dodging um, through the entire boss battle. And it's about trying to find the opportunities within these patterns to take pot shots. Um, There are, I didn't count, I think think there are about six bosses. Does that sound about right to you guys or? Something like that. And and, um, we didn't even mention it. There is another mech. There's an underwater mech. Oh yeah, yeah, the um, little uh, submarine, which was so mm-hmm. cute and reminded me so much of like, um, uh, what's the Game Boy Mario game like um, Super Mario Land? It reminds me of the little like flying ship from Super Mario Land. It's yeah. very Game Boy, very cute. And that was actually when I found it to be the most challenging because your move set is just move. You can move um, on the X and Y axis uh, axis because you're underwater and it, you just go up, down, left, right, no problem. But you only have one weapon, which is shoot. And you, your uh, health is considerably lower, um, and that so that the most challenging boss to me was the one that was early in the game. Actually, it was the when you're 
in the submarine. Mm. I don't know. I had a ton of trouble with the final boss. I think it was just that I was kind of approaching it wrong. Um, I was initially uh, Kiki has a the double jump in this game is is pretty unique. I really like it. And I, I do wish that the game had actually given us more opportunities to make more interesting use of the double jump because the way the double jump works in this game, it's kind of a spin jump where you do one jump and then you do a second jump and she goes into a spin and that spin can damage enemies. Um, mm-hmm. So you can do a kind of a, not exactly shovel nighty, but exactly that sort of vibe where you do a double jump and then land on an enemy and you bounce off of the enemy rather than hurting yourself and you do damage to that enemy with that with that drop. But then you can do another double jump in the air and do another land on the enemy and so on. And there were occasionally times where you could use that in a crowded room to do a lot of damage and just sort of bounce on top of enemies' heads. I don't know. I thought that was a really cool ability that didn't get made use of enough. And I was trying very hard to use that on the final boss because it seemed like I was supposed to, but it turned out, nope, that was a fool's errand. It was just doing two tiny amounts of damage. You just really needed to just dodge rockets. a whole lot and take pot shots with the rockets. Just do rockets. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of the boss battles, um, I didn't play as many of them as you guys did, but they they were very much about planning and strategy and it's not as if you have to cause X damage to start another round. It is they're going to go through a cycle and you got to do it. I mean, I, yeah. I've watched a lot of Cuphead speedruns. This is not that bullet hell. It's not Cuphead. It's not um, hard for hard sake. But it definitely is something where I can see speedrunners being like, and you stand here and then you stand here and then you hit and then you stand here and then yeah. you stand here and then you hit. Yeah. I found myself having to do that to get through um, for better, or for worse. It it. it is some it is very different feeling than the rest of the game, um, which t- seemed odd to me. Well, I was thinking a lot. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about sort of the 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 level design and the monster or like the the bad guy creature design. Uh, first of all, a ton of really cool and unique little sprites. Some organic, weird, like centipede things and frogs and stuff like that. And then a lot of just cool little robots. Um, but what stood out to me is that there was no, there was no one standard creature that was actually at all really difficult. If you entered into a room with one by itself, you could kill it pretty much a hundred percent of the time without getting hurt. Unless you kind of messed up. They're all relatively simple. Shoot them with rockets and they die. However, where it gets challenging is that the game blends these things to a degree that it makes it where there's like very little safe space to be. So you don't often enter into a room where it's like, oh, there's six of this one bad guy. It's more like, okay, there's two of the ones that run really fast along the bottom. Uh, There's two guys in the air that shoot rockets. And then there's a guy that like extends its arm far and will punch you with it. Each one of those easy to kill, but mm-hmm. when 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 all of them are together, you kind of have to strategize who you kill to clear space to get more room to kill the different ones, and that's where it gets difficult. Is just keeping an eye on everything, uh, and then whereas the bosses almost never is there anything going on in the room other than the boss itself. There's kind of like uh, a an elevator thing near the end that you got a lot you got to keep an eye on and it's kind of like a boss fight but for the most part the bosses are just big solitary or big thing in the middle of the screen that probably moves but like you know what your target is and you just have to dodge its attacks 
So that's where the in the um, in the core game, moving kind of fast and actually just like shooting in every direction and moving kind of fast is was generally, in my opinion, the the most effective thing. But then on the bosses, you had to like slow down and learn their patterns and think about when I could get those pot shots, like Reagan mm-hmm. was saying. And, and I ultimately like I like that balance a lot. I'll also say that the game got like any good uh, like um, Metroidvania where the thing that you earn is more movement abilities. The game got considerably more fun with each movement ability. That oh yeah, you got. yeah. Like I, the first the first stage is kind of like it's okay, you know. Then you get the double jump and you're like, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. And there's an, there's fun. an air dash, which is a pretty standard thing in Metroidvania games these days, and. I have to say, I don't think that any of the um, the like movement abilities or like weapon upgrades that you get were particularly creative. Um, it's a short game; they probably you know they were exploring, I think, sort of the basics. But um, I don't know. Apart from the what I thought was kind of clever use of the double jump, I wasn't particularly impressed with any of the upgrades that you get. I, I certainly liked to get them. It's always nice to get. Oh, now I've got a rocket launcher. Perfect. But like, it is it is absolutely like a. Um, best of of the metroid series right like there's there's not anything in here that i thought was like a surprising new addition to the metroid series apart from the sort of central like you are a cat the cat is different outside of the the suit than in kind of conceit like otherwise it's very it's very standard metroid upgrades standard metroid progression i don't know how to say this without saying without it kind of coming off like negative but there isn't really anything that's like super unique about this game. It's just like other than the story, right? But like the actual gameplay feels like a ton of other games. It's just like a really tight, fun, quick game. Yeah, if this is a kind of game that you like, this is a great way to get that experience in five hours, which is some which is mm-hmm. I think the the unique thing about this. Um and for me that was great. Like I don't get to play enough Metroidvanias and particularly we don't get to cover enough on this show because while I love the genre, it's one of my favorites. Um, you know, most of them take 25 hours to beat or maybe even 40. And it's just not something we get to cover very often. So getting the opportunity to cover a Metroidvania of any kind on this show, particularly one that's five hours or, or so in length, that's great. Um, I mean, and there, there's a potential to play more of this. This could potentially take you longer than maybe even longer than 10 hours if you're going for 100% completion. I'm not sure that that would really feel like a payoff to me here. There's, there's, you know, there's not a, a ton of, of, um, yeah, you know, well, I, how many up, health upgrades do you really need going into that final boss? Yeah. yeah I was actually curious. Do you know how many health upgrades, how many health you had at the end? I had 13, I think at the okay. end. Okay. And how many cartridges had you found? I don't recall. I think maybe okay. eight or 10. Okay. Yeah, the cartridges are are a nice touch. This is something that you've seen before in, um, oh, what was that game? Uh, uh, Downwell, where you find a cartridge and the cartridge unlocks a new palette. And it's kind of fun to take this black and white game and apply these different palettes to it that have different looks. So there's one that looks like a old school, like blue and yellow, like maybe a CGA graphics kind of computer or there's one that's like more the sort of greenish Game Boy colors, or there's one that's gives it a kind of a coffee-colored background. And it's nice yeah. to be able to kind of customize that. And you can really only do that kind of thing with these palettes and have it be anywhere near, you know, usable uh, in a game with this sort of black and white 
uh, aesthetic. So I always kind of like that. It's a fun, fun add on. Yeah. And then they do give you, it's definitely a collectible, but there is an upgrade. If you get a certain amount of them, you can like trade in the cartridges. You still get, you know, what they're for, but you can upgrade your, your gun to shoot faster. Um, I was you... so, I was so frustrated by this. Uh, I, I found that person, the person with the, like who is the, like the, the shopkeeper who will trade the cartridges for like upgrades to your gun. And at the time I couldn't afford any upgrades. And then I hmm. went through the game and I collected a whole bunch of cartridges and then I could never find that person again. Like, I don't know where they were, where, oh, what was funny. I missing? He's right in the middle of the Nexus. He's like one screen over from where the computer is. I swear to God, I went through that place like yeah. a half a dozen times. I, I think That's he was really gone. Funny. I don't know if there was a bug or if I'm just an idiot, but I could never find that person again. <laughs> you have to go, you go one screen over from the computer uh-huh. and then there's a tunnel that's like underneath and to the left that you go through and, and it's right there. Uh, that's really funny. Okay. Uh, I, I did love, um, you know, we we're talking about like, I don't, you said, I don't know how fulfilling it would be to get all the cartridges and all the collectibles and i and i agree and they actually at the end you know like any like most of these games there will be a point where you cross where they're like okay you're entering the end of the game so if you want to uh get any of the collectibles like you better do that before you do this and in this game they, they it straight up says like if you're interested in the meaningless collection of items that uh, that ultimately is not very fulfilling, then you need to make sure you do it before you cross this line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I don't, it, it's always nice to get a get a heads up that you're about to reach a point of no return. But honestly, yeah. at that point, I was like, I've got 13 health upgrades. I'm gonna go. Let's roll. Because I was I like, know, I'm, I, I'm not gonna I go back and hunt for those those collectibles. Same. It's not for not for me. So like we mentioned, this game is available on the Nintendo Switch, where it costs uh, $7.99, regular price. Although actually, Devolver was doing a sale on the, the very on all of their games the week of its release. So if you, uh, you might still be able to catch that sale depending on when this episode goes up. So if that's the case, it was like uh, five bucks, but at $8, this is a this is a really nice little experience for your Switch for eight dollars, which I think is a is a great value. Uh, you know, this it, this is a nice little package, and it's also available on Steam for Windows. So if you'd prefer to play it there, uh, snap it up. Uh, I I really enjoyed this one. I I'm I 100% recommend it to people who like this style of gameplay. And even if you don't, this might be a good introduction to Metroidvanias. Yeah, absolutely. This game is fun. Definitely recommend it. I will also say, and we haven't really talked about it, um, while a lot of the music is your standard sort of just like action-y, platform-y music, there are a couple songs that really stick out and are fantastic, and I cannot wait for the soundtrack to be released if it hasn't already been. Uh, Particularly, uh, get to the last fight. Oh, yeah, I could write that song. That song was a banger. (laughs) That's awesome. And they actually had like the boss sort of moves to the to the rhythm of the song. And it's a really, really fun thing. And it makes me wish that like the whole they'd they'd done that for the whole game because the music definitely fades in the back for a lot of it. But some when it when it pops, it is 
awesome. When it pops, it pops off. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. It's and very, it's very bassy and like, um, yeah. it's, it's bassy for a chiptune soundtrack. Is I guess what I'd say. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's really really good. So um, I, I recommend this game on all levels. Um, it's it's fun. Yeah, pick it up, pick it up. And here at the end of the show, we like to do a segment we call "What's Making You Happy This Week." So, Laura, what's making you happy this week? So I went to Cake Chicago, which stands for the, well, Cake. It's Chicago Alternative Comics Expo. And I was not supposed to buy anything, but then I found a book that was a tiny encyclopedia of dogs and video games. Oh, man. So jealous of this thing. It's so good. A risographed encyclopedia. Um, and it include there's no author attribution, but it's by someone named um, Yuan Quan, who does, um, she just does prints. um for a couple really small presses in Chicago. And she drew a little uh, Silent Hill dog in the front of it too. It says, thanks. Uh, my God, this thing I thought was going to be a joke and it's actually an encyclopedia. Every dog has a little entry where they talk about, they have a couple screenshots, they describe the role of the dog. They've got stuff from, as I said, Silent Hill. They've got multiple Zelda pages. There are four pages for Undertale. A very dog-heavy game. It is a dog-heavy game. Um, you can see the dog from WarioWare. You can see Rappa the Rappa, Barkspawn, Jake from A Dog's Life. There's even just like a dog named Desmond that's in a bag from a Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Um, <laughs> it is... Can you pet the dog on steroids? Because it actually describes the dog's role in each game very seriously, including, you know, the dog in Witcher 3. Um, Good dog. It is just such a delight. And it's a small book. Um, I do not like talking about things you can't get. I'll link to the Instagram post where people keep being like, it was sold out on cake. I'll buy it online. I'm pretty sure you can't buy it online, considering it seems like a bit of a rogue publication. No author name, no copyright information. probably trying to stay off the radar but um so if you can't get this book in particular i advise you to go to weird little small press things in your town there was a ton of video game art a ton of um content like this that you can't get online so you might need to leave your house to get the good shit i guess is what i'm saying (laughs) absolutely and um if you've missed out on this entirely and laura mentioned it go follow uh can i can you pet the dog on Twitter, which I don't think we've talked about on this show before. They might have mentioned it for what's making me happy, but I don't remember. I it's don't just, know either. Uh, it's still making me happy all these weeks and weeks later. It is. But um, I will post a link to the Instagram post where you can see bits of the tiny dog encyclopedia, but also just, you know, there are a lot of events like this where you might think that a small press uh, event is really pretentious, but it's really just weirdos making things they like and chances are if you listen to this podcast you're a weirdo too who will find something you like that is a really good call um and also as a weirdo something has been making me happy this week that is more more about something potentially making me happy in the future so i feel like this is a weird thing to want but anyway this week is uh wwdc the worldwide developers conference for apple and uh, our next episode by the way will be our usual coverage of games that have won apple design awards uh this this year Um, but some most of the news out of wwdc doesn't affect me i can't afford the new mac pro Um, new software updates are nice, but many of them are for, you know, addressing needs I don't have or addressing, uh, devices I don't own. Uh, but 
This year, a very small footnote at the end of the keynote had me absolutely shaking, and that was that that Apple has decided to allow you to connect either a PlayStation 4 controller or an Xbox One controller, I think just the Xbox One, not Xbox 360, uh, with your iOS devices, including tvOS, the Apple TV, the iPhone, and the iPad. And that is absolutely huge news. Because uh, if you've been, I mean, if you're not an iOS game person, you might not be following this this saga particularly well. But Apple has has done everything within their power to self sabotage their ability to sell decent games on their platforms. And um, one of the biggest elements of that was that they came out with, you know, the the Apple TV, which had expected you to try to play games on their god awful remote that is just an embarrassment the little siri remote it's just useless even as a remote but particularly useless as a game controller and then they finally said okay okay fine we're gonna allow you to publish games that will require a controller but it has to be an mfi controller which is a certification program that apple had it's made for iphone or ios or what have you and those mfi controllers i own one are absolute garbage and they cost They're 60 awful. or 70 dollars um, there's several companies that make them, but they have to get licensed through Apple. And so because of the licensing fees and everything, there's just there's not a lot of competition. They are the kind of thing that you would, uh, you know, give to your cousin when they came over to play video games, not the kind of thing that you would use with your console yourself. You know, they're just that level of controller. And yet they cost a ton of money and they're just crap. So those suck. And I'm so glad that we'll be rid of them. Um, I mean, they're still presumably going to be supported, but now you'll just be able to hook up your iPhone with your DualShock 4, and that opens up some really exciting stuff. For example, um, PS4 came out with a remote play app for the iPhone a few weeks ago, and it works really well, but you would have to use it with an MFI controller, which are crap, or you'd have to use it with on-screen controls, which are crap. Uh, but now you'll just be able to pair your PS4 controller to your phone or iPad and remote play your your uh, your PS4. That's great. And then that'll also be open to any app that wants to support controllers. So you can just, pay, and I'm not 100% sure whether developers will need to, if they have existing controller support, I'm not sure whether they'll need to do anything to support the DualShock 4s and the Xbox controllers or whether that'll just work. But either way, it's very exciting. It means that we might have more potential for more good games on Apple platforms. I'm sure Apple will find other ways to sabotage games on their platforms in the future, but uh, at least in this case, they seem to have stumbled their way ass backwards into supporting something years too late that will hopefully be great. So we'll see. Could they possibly be motivated by the fact that they're releasing their own game subscription service? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Hmm. I think that the big part there is like, a big part of what they're marketing that Apple Arcade as is like you buy a game and you can play it on your iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV. But the problem is that it's real hard to play even a very basic game on the Apple TV. And they, I think, finally have come to realize that their whole plan for Apple TV gaming was a massive failure from the very start, complete failure to launch. So this is smart. I'm, I bet you, I bet you this was a big fight within Apple. And I'm glad that the side of sanity finally prevailed. And I'm really looking forward to, I actually don't really use my Apple TV anymore. I've got it sort of boxed up in the basement, but like this might make me get it out, you know, for the whole uh, arcade thing. This feels very much like when everyone freaked out just because Apple let you watch uh, Prime Video on the Apple TV. Huh. 
they, there was a whole thing of like, will they let Amazon put their conflict? Will they let Netflix put content on? It was like, yes, it doesn't work without it. So thank God they finally applied the same thing to video games. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'll be an exciting uh, year for games on Apple platforms because of this. Nate, what's making you happy this week? So a couple things making me happy. One, it both of, or actually two things, both bouncing off of what you both just said. So uh, a couple weekends ago, I got to spend some time in Chicago with Laura and Justin. And it was funny. What's funny to me is that uh, when I was with Justin at the at a bookstore, he said multiple times, I'm not supposed to be buying anything right now. <laughs> we keep saying and that. And then uh, bought uh, a couple comic books. And then yep. now, Laura, you're saying, I'm not supposed to be buying anything. And you bought a dog game book so uh it's, it's very that. small yeah. yeah it's 120 oh. pages but very little it's great i just love how much you are both outwardly saying i shouldn't be buying anything as you're making purchases yep uh, so uh. that's making me happy also what's making me happy <laughs> capitalism it's making Re- me happy <laughs> reagan you said you were shaking with excitement and at first i thought like i was laughing at thinking about you like just like vibrating <laughs> on your couch uh as as this uh was announced and then the degree at which you just exuded excitement when talking about it makes me think you were yeah you physically came alive <laughs> like i thought you might yeah. punch your desk like. i know i like i know this is a uh audio medium but if you could see reagan was like leaning into his microphone he was very very excited about this so <laughs> that's making me happy and then finally um this isn't a recommendation uh but something that is making me happy so like every couple months me and my brother go and force ourselves to do uh 5ks it's like a way to force myself into being outside and somewhat you know healthy and this morning i did one and i'm incredibly sore but i got my best time so wow that is making me happy yeah congratulations that is uh thank worth you. being happy about and uh, you. listeners, you are also making me very happy. So thank you so much for your continued feedback and support of the show. If you want to let us know what games you think are interesting or what we should cover, a good way to do that is to go to www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our contact form or you can email us at info at theshortgame.net. Either way is fine. Or of course, you can just tweet at us at underscore short game. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Reagan K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And also, uh, if I didn't mention it, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice if it allows for that feature. Uh, We always appreciate those sorts of things. We do keep an eye out for them, and they're the best way to support the show. Uh, Also, let your friends know about the show. If you know somebody who you think likes indie games or short games, uh, let them know, and uh, hopefully they'll check us out. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this week's short game. We'll catch you next week.